my wife grew up in Sydney, Texas, little bitty small country town. Most people go, I have no idea where Sydney is. And I go, well, if you're in Comanche and you want to go to May, you're going to drive through Sydney. And they go, I don't, I, I don't know where Comanche or May is. And it's just in the middle of nowhere. Families all live there. Her grandmother and grandfather have, grew up there, lived there almost all their life. And, and they're from a generation that um, is, is very careful with money not just because of their generation, but growing up kind of in the country, in the farm community, there's nobody out there in that area that has great wealth. And so they're savers. Um, I wouldn't say they're hoarders. I mean, not like in the TV show, but they, they keep everything. And you can open up cabinets and inside the cabinets, you know, those, those, those butter dishes that you get, the, the country crock butter or whatever, uh, there, you know, there's 20 of those in there because you never know when you might need a container to hold something. So they, those get washed out and put away. And so over the course of years, closets have been filled, cabinets have been fill, filled, storage sheds have been filled. And, and they're getting to the point in the life where they're getting old. In fact, Amanda's grandfather passed away just a, a few months ago. And, and through this time, he was dealing with cancer and dealing with uh, the end of his life coming. And, and Amanda's grandmother obviously is getting a little bit older and, and taking care of him has taken a toll. And Amanda and her sister and mother made the decision, let's go up and let's just start cleaning out that house. I mean, they're still living there, but let's go through and we'll take a room at a time. We'll go up on a Saturday, take the back bedroom that the, that bedroom had become really a storage closet. And we're going to get rid of the things that need to be gotten rid of. We're going to organize the things that need to be organized and we're going to declutter their life. And so they did that over the course of several months, about four or five trips, I believe, because they would take a different section of the house at different times. And the, the amazing thing, some of you, especially moms that, that do a lot of the childcare at home, maybe dads, you may too, but I know in our house, my, mom, my wife does a, a lot of the extra stuff. Um, that's kind of a big deal. It's one thing, it's, it's kind of a big deal to, to load up two kids and drive them two hours. And you actually have to go on Friday night because Amanda's dad lives there and you can't come into town and not see him. So you have to go up on Friday night, stay with him, Saturday go and do all the cleaning. So you're gone Friday from after school till Saturday dinner. It's virtually your weekend. And you've got to pack up, you know, half the house so that kids have things that they can do. And uh, you gotta, you're cleaning and you're monitoring kids. And it can be a pretty stressful type thing. Takes a lot of time, a lot of energy for sure. And to do it not just once, but two, three, four, and five times uh, is to me a great act of love. And that is why there's no question in my mind, that's why Amanda does that because she loves her grandmother and she wants to minister to her grandmother, meet her grandmother's needs. Um, And we're, we're talking about love. We're talking about love better. And that word love has a lot of, lot of different definitions. It's such a big word and such a big experience. It's hard to kind of capture what it is in one sentence. But some people have tried. Here, here's a definition that somebody said. We throw that up there. One guy said, love is an untamed force. When we try to control it, it destroys us. When we try to imprison it, it enslaves us. When we try to understand it, it leaves us feeling lost and confused. I don't even know what that means. It just sounded really deep, so I put it up there for it because I figured there's somebody smart that would get that. That just seemed like, I mean, as a guy's attempt, I, I read it, I was like, what? Deep. Uh, guys, somebody else said this. This one's kind of sad. I, I, I said, love is temporary insanity, curable by marriage. That's kind of a, wah, wah, you know, idea of love. I might have to go up on the stage. I don't know if I can read this from one here, from here. It's a six-year-old girl. Yeah, it's a little bit small. Let me get up and read it. Six-year-old girl, She said, love is when you're missing some of your teeth, but you're not afraid to smile. 
because you know your friends will st still love you, even though some of you is missing. That's the best one, right? I mean, <laughs> of those. When I was in high school, my mentor had me read a book. And inside that book, th there was this definition of love that was simple, but it, it really captured me. And it wasn't, it wasn't flowery like the first quote. It wasn't with a bit of humor like the second quote. It wasn't sweet like the little girl. But I never forgot it. A guy named Oscar Thompson said this. He said, love is meeting needs. Period. And I always remember that. Love, it, love is meeting people's needs. And that's why I think this idea of love better. And, and again, we said last week, we're talking about, we're not talking about necessarily loving people. That's what we're called to love God and love people. We're not talking about generally through this series. We're talking about your spouse. We're talking about your kids. We're talking about your, your more intimate relationships, your, your close friends. How do we love them better? And I think when we, when we get this definition, love is meeting needs, it shows us why loving better tends to elude us. Because you and I are naturally bent to want to be served rather than to serve. And that doesn't sound very noble, but it's true. Uh, I mean, the scripture talks about that. The theologians describe that as our sin nature. You and I, at, at the end of the day, we would rather have our, our own needs met than expend energy to meet other people's needs. We don't want to say that, but, but we are naturally, if we're not working at it, we're naturally selfish. And our, and our culture adds to that. If you think about it, you, you might get to a point one day where you make enough money that you can hire someone to come and clean your house, right? You, you might have enough money that you have a maid service. They come in once a week, maybe twice a week, and they come in and they clean your house for you. They make your house pick and span. Have you ever met anybody that said, I'm working to get to retirement I, I know what I need to retire and, and I'm working hard because, you know, when, I, when I'm, I want to retire early at 55, I want to never have to work again because once I'm financially independent, then I can do my dream. I can go to people's houses and clean up after them. There might be somebody like that, but I've never met them. You might arrive financially point one day you can have your own driver. So, you know, in, in your own fleet of cars and they come pick you up and they drop you off like people that are extremely wealthy. But there, there's nobody that goes, hey, just my weekends, you know what I want to do? I want to find some people, just call them up and go, hey, I'm free Saturday and Sunday all day long. You just call me whenever you want to go somewhere. I'm going to drive over and pick you up and drive you wherever you want. And if you want to go to the mall, I'll just wait outside till you're done and then I'll take you home. That's th those type careers and jobs, those are service industry jobs. And most of us aren't trying to retire to service. We're much more interested in being the person being served. The fancier the restaurant, the more the service. You go to a high-end restaurant, you drive up, you get out, someone parks your car for you. You walk in, someone checks your coat for you. Someone else takes you to your seat, someone cooks for you, and then someone brings you the food, and then they clean up after you. They hand you your coat and they bring you your car service. You don't get that on the low end at Burger King. You, you might get somebody to cook for you. That's questionable even at that of what it is. And, and you can drive through in your own car and they throw you a bag and you go, that's kind of low. But, but our culture said, hey, the better you're doing, the more you should be served. I, I was reading about, um, I, I believe it's called Emirates Airline coming out of 
the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, I believe, and um, Dubai. They, they, they are kind of the, they're, the, they're setting the standard for first class flight. If you fly with them and you are paying the, the great amounts up to $22,000 for a flight, you don't have to worry about getting to the airport because when you book your ticket, they schedule someone, a driver to come pick you up in a Mercedes and bring you to the airport where you're handed a fast track ticket so that you can skip to the front of the line and go through security and go through checking and not have to wait in the lines. Then you can go wait in a, in a, in a lounge where they have a gourmet buffet, where they have an open bar, where they have TVs and Wi-Fi, and they have showers in case you need to freshen up before you get on the plane. Then when you get on the plane, you have these private uh, seating areas that your, your seats actually lean all the way back in horizontal so that you can sleep like a bed. A seven-course gourmet lunch and a seven-course gourmet dinner. If you're riding on the flight and you're like, you know what, I missed the shower in the lounge, dang, you can get up and go take a shower on your flight. If you don't want to sit in your private cubicle here, you can go to the lounge and hang out with people and visit with them and then go back to your private area. Singapore Airlines actually has some planes that in first class, their seats don't recline. A literal bed comes out of the wall for you to lay down in your private spot. Some of these airlines in first class have about six seats or six areas, and they have two flight attendants assigned to the six people. That's service, right? I mean, I'm going to Poland here in a little bit with your kids. We're not getting anything like that. I'm flying that airline where they put the 350-pound man next to you in the seat that you don't fit in already, nor does he. And then, you know, the, it's, like, it's called knee-to-chest leg room where your knees come to your chest because that's the, as comfortable as you can get. And God, it's, it's miraculous if God allows you to sleep on that flight at all because your seat reclines into the bed that goes back like three-quarters of an inch, right? And you're like, is it, why is there even a button? Well, I don't even understand why that does that. That does mean nothing. That's my flying. But we would love, we would love to be served. Well, we've got to figure out how to flip the script. If love is meeting needs, then to love better, we have to learn how to meet needs better. In the book of Ruth, we're going to be in chapter two. And last week, we, we looked at a passage in chapter one. And in chapter one, we found, I'll catch you up, we found that there was a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and there was a famine in Israel where they lived. So they moved with their two sons to the country of Moab. While they were there, their two sons married two Moabite girls. And then tragedy struck. Elimelech died, the husband, the patriarch, he passed away. And then the two sons passed away. And it was Naomi, the mother, and her two foreigner daughter-in-laws. She finds out that the famine has passed in Israel and Naomi's gonna go back home to her family where she has the only hope of survival. And she looks at her two daughter-in-laws who are from the country she's living in, says, I'm going home, you guys stay here. You guys go back to your families. You can get married again, you're young, you have people to take care of you, don't go with me. One of them does that. Another one, Ruth, who the book we're reading is named after, says no. Where you go, I go. Where you die, I'll die. And what we learned last week is that love, and if we're going to love better, that love is measured by loyalty. And Ruth was ultimately loyal to her mother-in-law. She goes back. 
Well, we learned that love is measured by loyalty. And this week, we're talking about this, that love is expressed through service. It's measured by loyalty, but it's expressed through service. And look at Ruth chapter two, verse one. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I have found favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now understand this, and we kind of talked about this last week, going back to a culture in which this was written. If you were a, a, a female that had no husband, had no sons, you, you stayed, you stayed under, under the, the covering of your, of your family, of your, of your father. If you were a widow like Ruth is and like Naomi is, it's bad news because you don't just go out as a female in this culture and go get a job. So there, there, there's not a lot of gainful employment. And, and we saw last week that Naomi, I mean, Ruth chose, I'm going to come and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swallow that pill and I'm going to come with Naomi anyway. And what we find out this morning is this, she gets there and she begins to serve her mother-in-law. There's not a lot of options. The best option is to go back home still. There's not a lot of options, but what she does is she goes out into the fields where the guys are, are, are harvesting. And it's an all-day affair of harvesting the plants and, and harvesting the crops. And they've got acres and acres and acres. And what she does is she asks permission to walk behind these guys. And as they go and they're reaping the barley, every now and then something misses the basket and falls to the ground. And Ruth runs over and picks that up. And she spends the day picking up the scraps, trying to make a living. You could imagine, and it's, it's probably not far from this. When we talk about picking up the scraps, the imagery that comes to my mind is the family sitting around the table and some of the table scraps, some of the food falls off the table. And who cleans that up? The dogs, the house animals. Come and clean. That's, that's the job that she's relegated to. And that's not far in the analogy from what it's really like. And so here's this girl who has a better life for her waiting in Moab, but she's loyal because she's loving better. She's loyal to her mother-in-law. And now she expresses that through serving. And she says, there's not much that I can do to provide for me and to provide for my mother-in-law who I love, but I'll do whatever it takes. I'll serve. I'll take the lowest, the lowest form of, of a job that there is pretty much a beggar. And I will go and I'll work. And here's the, here's the thing that shows her character. Boaz shows up and he sees this woman out in the field with all the men. And he goes, who is that? And they go, well, that's Ruth. Remember Naomi? And he goes, oh yeah, I got it. And they go, man, she got here at sunup and she's still working now. And she only took a short rest. She's not just serving her mother-in-law. She's serving well. She's working hard. She's bending over and picking up things all day long. 
knowing that the backache is coming in that hot Middle Eastern sun because she's loving better. So we think about our spouses, think about our teenagers, we think about our neighbor, maybe our our close friend. And, And so this whole series, we're talking about how do we as followers of Jesus love those people that we have intimate relationships with better? How do we be loyal like Ruth? How do we serve? How do we go about and meet people's needs? This week, when you go home, I want you to talk about that with your, with your family, with, with your kids. They're going to discuss these questions that you're going to have in a minute next Sunday. So all week long, how do we express love by serving? And before we kind of get into questions, I want to give you a couple ideas. One is this, and, and we'll throw them up if you're taking notes. Number one is this. How about picking a family member? and doing their job for the week. Now, I'm not talking about like if your husband works at IBM, that you go to IBM and work. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about around the house. What is it that maybe, maybe you love your kids by showing them the grace of doing their chores for them this week? You probably do that most of the time anyway, so that may not be the best idea. But maybe, maybe husbands, actually wives, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Feel free, because I'm a guy, self-admittedly don't understand women. Um, But I think this may be true. I think there's probably a lot of wives in here that you would love flowers for Valentine's Day. You'd love going out to dinner. You'd love a box of candy. You might love some jewelry. But some of our ladies here, they would really love guys for you just to do the dishes this week. Happy Valentine's Day. They, They would love... They don't have to vacuum the entire house because you said, you know what? I'm going to express love to you this week by serving you. Am I totally off, ladies? I mean, some of you at least, yeah. Okay, they said, no, never mind then, guys. You're free and clear. Um, <laughs> do what, apparently, apparently I missed it. It's just my wife um, is going, going to be listening to this podcast later and going, yeah, okay. Why didn't that happen? But pick somebody that's in your family, or maybe that, that's, the, that's, that's the application. That's an idea. If God shows you another way to love better by serving somebody, go do that. I'm just trying to put some, some grips on, on, on the, the journey here so that you can hold on. How could you express love by serving your spouse? You could do it with a friend or somebody at work, but just from an idea, how about a family member? I've got a cousin. Her name's Emily. She's a nurse up in Temple. And... Several years ago, I'll save you the whole long story, but several years ago, something happened and her parents decided that they were kind of cutting her off. She, they weren't even recognizing her as their daughter at the time. Uh, and there were some things that the parents thought that were not true. That, and and this, this girl is a godly young lady. She's awesome. And I don't know what happened along the way and I don't understand all the family dynamics, but mom and dad said, hey, you're done. Well, she was going to marry Harden Baylor. Um, which is a private school education. And that's a pretty expensive semester bill. And when they cut her off, I mean, they, my understanding is they took the, my daughter goes to UMH, took the sticker off the car. We're not financing anything. She was going to have to drop out of school. And we heard about this. This was years ago. And a man and I had kind of prayed about it and said, okay, let's, let's finish off this school bill. And so each semester for a couple semesters, we wrote a check to pay Mary Harden Baylor so that my cousin could finish school. She's now gone through nursing school. She's a nurse, married, couple kids, doing great. Um, 
I don't even think she probably remembers that we did that. I mean, because it, it wasn't like something we talked about a whole lot. We weren't living in the same city. It was just kind of, we did it via mail. Um, and she knew we were doing it, but you know, years later, probably doesn't even think about it. But here's what's interesting. Reflected on this, this week we talking about love better. I've got a lot of cousins. There's two that I'm really close to. Her and another one that I could tell you a whole nother story about serving that we did as a family. And those two are cousins that, that I text a lot, I check in on, trying to find out what's going on in their life, pray for them. And, and what can, I feel this connection to them that's more intimate and deeper than my other cousins. And as I was reflecting on this love better, here's what I, here's what I learned. It was this epiphany for me. My act of service connected me to them deeper. I'm not, I'm not saying they feel the same way. I think they do because we're, we're pretty close. But I'm not going to stand up here and go, because I serve them, they love me more. But here's what I do know. Because I serve them, I love them more. I loved better, and now my relationship is deeper. So what does that mean to your relationships? If you want to love your spouse better, figure out how to serve. If you want to love your kids better, figure out how to serve. If you want to love your neighbor, your close friend, whatever... If you want to love better, figure out this week how to serve them. Do something intentional. And here's what I know. If you don't do it intentionally, you probably won't do it. So think through it. Be application oriented. Here's the second thing. I'm throwing this out to your teenagers because it's something we did Wednesday night. And and so they hear the same message. So I'm going to say it this way up here. Serve the person you wrote down last week. And that means nothing to you. But on Wednesday night, we passed out some cards to our teenagers and we said, if you have a friend who's far from God, you have somebody that you don't know if they die tonight, they're going to spend eternity with God. Would you write their name down, just their first name or write their initials or write some way to identify who they are? If your friend's name is Xavier, make up a new name because everybody's going to know who the big X is. You know, they'll know. But just some way where you can almost anonymously, but write down someone's name. And then we collected all of those. This week on Wednesday night, we're going to pass those out amongst everybody and say, hey, would you pray for this name for the week? That God would do a work in their heart and bring them from being far from God to Jesus. So one of the things that we're going to ask our teenagers, and you didn't have a card, but you can make this application for yourself. The person that you're close to is far from God. The person when we did the series, Just Walk Across the Room last month, that kept coming to your mind, that you went, I don't know, I don't know if they have a relationship with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit kept kind of hitting you with them and you kept thinking about them. Sometime this week, figure out a way to serve them. How can you bless them? Steve Jogren is a pastor and he tells this story about when he moved into his new house, he met his neighbor and his neighbor wasn't a believer, um, but they became friends and they were both out working in the, in the yard one day and and his neighbor said, Steve, you're a pastor, right? And, and Steve said, what that interprets is, hey, you're a referee. I'm about to ask you a question and I need you to tell me who's right and who's wrong. And, and the neighbor started telling about some conflict that he'd had with another neighbor that they all three shared. And he started telling story upon story of conflict and fights and arguments. And he said, but you know what takes the cake? I got a letter in the mail this week. I got a letter from my neighbor's attorney and he's going to sue me if I don't trim the orange tree that's coming over into his property. And he's telling Steve, this, this pastor, this story. And he goes, you know what? 
He said, I was actually, I actually had planned this week to go trim that tree. And I'm not now. Not at all. I'm going to wait until the lawyers come. I'm going to wait until the legal process goes all its way. Because then I'll have a story to tell about my Christian neighbor who sued me because of my orange tree. And then he said this to his pastor neighbor. He said, I, I guess Christians love everybody. They just don't like a lot of people. That's a backwards illustration to make this point. What if the neighbor had tried to love better? What if the neighbor who was concerned about the tree went over and one just had a conversation but said, hey, if you're going to trim this tree you know, soon, let, let me know. I'll help you. I'll help you trim it. I'll help you, you know, haul off the branches. Let me know. Hey, if you got any other things that, that I can do for you, how can my family serve you? You would have had an entirely different story because here's what we know from the story. The neighbor who is not a believer had already identified his neighbor as a spiritual person. And he's already thinking about spiritual things. He didn't refer to him as the neighbor. He refers to him as the Christian neighbor. There's some spiritual thoughts going through his head already. What would have happened had his neighbor just loved better and served him? Express love through service. The story might have been totally different. How do you love better? I'll tell you a story that I'm not going to tell your kids but I think it's applicable to where you're at and what you love to see happen. I told you about Amanda going to her grandmother's and serving four or five times over this past year. They went a couple of weeks ago. Um, actually, I think it was two weekends ago. It was, they went the weekend that I was not here with you guys when I was in Sanger, Texas, doing Disciple Now. So I think it was two weekends ago. They went and um, I think they were cleaning out another apartment or, they might, or another room. They might've just been going to hang out, but... I'm sitting in Sanger and on Facebook, my mother-in-law posts this just comment. And she, I can't, I can't quote it for you. I should have saved it. But she was talking about my seven-year-old, about Rayleigh. And she said something along the lines, I was so overwhelmed by how great my granddaughter is. She kept pulling the chair out for her great-grandmother. This is Amanda's grandmother who's just lost her husband. She kept pulling the chair out for her. She kept going to get her walker for her. She kept asking her what she could do. And anytime Grand, that's what we called her, Grand tried to do something, Ray was like, let me go get it. And we'd go get it for her. So that was posted. My wife texted me and she goes, I got a story to tell you. It's going to be pretty incredible. Then this week, we got a card in the mail. Rayleigh did. And it was a thank you card from her grandmother thanking her for being such a great kid and put $2 in it. And as, as a parent, you love, the, you love those stories. Especially... When the day after on Facebook, one of the Sunday school teachers posts about your daughter, we ask who built the ark and she said, Joseph. And so <laughs> when you have both of those, you're, you're, you're glad for some of the good stories, you know, uh, to help you not feel so much like a, a failure as a parent when you're a minister. And I'm just hoping she's thinking about Joseph, father of Jesus, because he was a carpenter and built the ark. That's my only hope that, that that's how she processed that. But you see those moments in the great, but here's what I know. She learned that. We didn't coach her on that. We didn't tell her, hey, you got to take care of your grandmother. We didn't say your grandmother's recovering from being sick. We didn't say have extra compassion, extra care. We probably should have. We didn't. She did it on her own. But she did it because she's watched her mother serve her grandmother. That's why this is so important for us as parents. That we love better. That we serve people. 
Because it's not just us and our relationships. It's the teenagers that are living in your home that God has given you who are watching you to learn how to love. Think of it this way. If nothing else, my grandfather is uh, in the nursing home rehabilitation center. My mom sent sent a text to us and she said, hey, would you have the girls write Papa a get well card? We said, yeah, sure, that'd be great. And she said, good, because we want to train them up so that they know how to take care of us one day. <laughs> That's pretty wise. If, if nothing else, teach your kids how to love better so they'll love you better, right? If for nothing else, ex- express love through serving people so as your, as your own teenagers grow into young adults, they serve you one day when you really need it. It's all about loving better. Loyalty to the people that God's called us to be in relationship with. It's measured that way, love is. And then it's expressed through service. We're gonna start transitioning over the next couple of weeks as we journey through Ruth. She's now met Boaz. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna begin to transition and talk about how do we love better in those relationships, uh, husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, those type of relationships. It's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be some good stuff.